0: I'd like to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of the London Lyceum, where podcast is devoted to thinking, but we don't want to just think, we want to think well. So in that vein, we hope to create an intellectual culture that is full of charity, curiosity, critical thinking, and cheerful confessionalism, all while we think. And this is our monthly episode of the Hanover House, where we gather me and Brandon, plus two uh, other, I guess, members of the London Lyceum, They're, they're both editors. Uh, Connor is a local church pastor in Michigan, and Cody is—I forget every time if he's in Alabama or Mississippi. What, which one are you in? I'm I'm in Alabama. They all—they're all the same to me, man. Like all those southern states. Hey, it's just
1: so Alabama. In most stats, is 49th, and Mississippi is always 50th. <laughs> so take take that, Dixon.
2: So you win, Cody.
0: So all that to say, this is supposed to be a more casual, informal discussion on topics that we have discussed with other guests uh, in the past. And we usually do the recent past. So we think the last month, the episodes that have released, and we talked to some of those topics or questions that we've received on that. So as I've, I guess, described it last time, I imagine this as we just listen to a podcast or listen to a lecture and we go to a coffee shop or something. and We just kind of talk about it afterwards. So we don't usually have like formal laid out notes or anything. Uh, Right before this episode, Brandon asked, what do we have? Is this completely from the hip? And that's exactly what it is. So uh, we don't know really what's going to come from it, but hopefully it's helpful as we discuss and you can kind of be a fly on the wall to just uh, enjoy the conversation. So with that said, I think probably the one I got the most questions about or comments on of the last month was Greg Allison's episode on the Holy Spirit. I think there were multiple things that that were questions there. Number one is just the discussion around cessationism. And the second one, I guess, which is intertwined, is he came up with the, it's not his original to him, but he used the idea of there's this capital A, lowercase a apostle. There's a capital P, lowercase p prophecy. I can't remember if there were any other capital lowercase versions of things that he gave. But I remember those two specifically. So I didn't know if we wanted to talk to that, whether that's using our own confessional position or whether that's just shooting from the hip and talking to it. Uh,
3: well, I, I would like to start with the the Holy Spirit stuff, um, but maybe not necessarily those two questions. I want to know um, what Cody thinks. Connor, not that I don't care what you think, uh, but this <laughs> I'm particularly interested in what Cody thinks about Me this. Me too. Um, so in the episode with Dr. Allison, I said something like, you know, it's easy for me to understand how in the Old Testament saints were regenerated, but it seems, uh, you know, different that the indwelling of the spirit would be different under the old covenant versus the new covenant. And then he responded by saying he did not even, and I think I'm correct on this. He, he sees that regeneration is totally different um between the old and the new <clears throat> so i thought that was pretty pretty interesting it kind of took me by surprise so cody i want to know what you think um like do you think are you more on on the on the same page with with allison or how do you understand this this uh i guess you could say it's a tension between how we understand regeneration and dwelling between the old and the new
1: yeah uh yeah when i i remember when i heard that comment from him I had to remember in my mind that I'm pretty positive that Dr. Allison would call himself a progressive dispensationalist. Mm -hmm. Um, So that immediately was like, okay, well, I guess that makes sense as to why he would argue that even something like regeneration, there are differences between um, discontinuity, between the old and the new. Um, I'm not a fan of that language at all. (laughs) You could take that to some really dangerous directions if you wanted to, not saying Dr. Allison does that at all. But um yeah, that's something like a question that I've wrestled with a lot in thinking about covenant theology is, if particularly as Reformed Baptists with um our, I would say, general covenantal structure, because even within... The platform of Reformed Baptist, there have been several different ways of kind of hashing out what covenant theology looks like. Um, but if we were to say that the covenant of grace is um, active, right, though not necessarily inaugurated, though it's kind of like retroactively working mm-hmm. in the old covenant, that those who are brought in uh, by faith in uh, Yahweh and his promise Um, that is a pretty difficult question, as because there is some sort of discontinuity in regards to the way in which the spirit works. I always like to hedge on the side of I believe Old Testament saints were indwelt with the spirit, though, um, that indwelling look may look a little bit different than what we see in the new. And it's kind of hard because the evidences that we have all throughout the old testament of the indwelling of the spirit are primarily geared towards particular actions and tasks right so the spirit comes upon those who are constructing the tabernacle the spirit comes upon Saul to prophesy there's all sorts of these you're right who's an unbeliever right so we even have examples of that and so there's not a clear cut example of just you could say ordinary saints in the old Testament who are indwelt with the spirit for the entirety of their um, faith union, so to speak. Um, But I like to hedge on that side though, just for the sake of continuity. If we are going to say that the covenant of grace is kind of retroactively working, that those who are saved in the old Testament are, are genuinely a part of the covenant of grace um, there has to be some sort of continuity in uh, the benefits of that, even if, even if we need to leave a, I guess, some slight room for discontinuity. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it
3: does. It does, and I think that's. I was, oh, and Jordan has pulled out his. Sinclair Ferguson book here on the Holy Spirit, so we should get schooled in just a second. But um, well, that's I think when I asked the question, maybe I, if I'm remembering remembering correctly, I framed it as you know was the was the difference one just in um, was it a qualitative or a quantitative? Was it merely a quantitative difference in in the measure of the Spirit that was given pre and post Pentecost? Um, and I and I don't think maybe this was in one of the episodes that we we recorded with Morgan on Renahan's book that hasn't released yet. But I think I asked him the same thing and his answer was, was more like yours, Um, you know, lean more heavily on the continuity. And I think he brought up, I want to believe it was Kuiper where he, where he was saying that like everything as far as regeneration and indwelling was the same in the, in the old covenant. But since the church, um, is now assembled together in a way that it was not um, since, you know, you had a faithful remnant yeah. in, in Israel and now you have the church gathered together that it just looks much different now than it would have back then. I think that was Kuiper, but I'm not positive about that. But yeah,
1: that's really good because the, <clears throat> we have to notice that the um, presence of the spirit in the old Testament is um, often takes kind of like typological form right so um, the cloud of fire and smoke right the even the, the presence of the spirit or of God above the mercy seat in the, in the tabernacle all of those were very like kind of like physical particular um Shadows, kind of, a, what will be true in the future, right? Of of God dwelling amongst His people, not merely like we see in the New Testament, not in you know tents with tents made with hands, mm-hmm. kind of thing. So, um, so we have to talk, like, kind of, like, mention that reality as well. In that, what we see in the Old Testament is um, an escalate. It, it's pointing forward to something that is going to be. Um, yeah, like fulfilled and true in all of the new covenant community. So there is, so there is no more pillar of, you know, fire and smoke. There is no more spirit above the mercy seat. Um, and so I do, yeah, I like what you said there. I think, um, yeah. So,
0: so I'll tell you what Sinclair Ferguson says and, in that episode, I remember using him kind of as an imaginary interlocutor to some degree. So I, I have had disagreements with Dr. Allison there, but it was easy to frame it as, "Hey, Ferguson says this, so <laughs> he's smarter than me. You, you, you deal with him." I he, so he says this on some of the, this is on page sixty-eight of his "The Holy Spirit: The Contours of Christian Theology" book. Uh, it's a little bit older, but I think it's really good. So. He basically argues that there was this, the statements like in John, where it's talking about the spirit had not yet been given, all that stuff. He says it's economic, not ontological. Um, so the spirit of God could not be received in his specific economic identity as the spirit, spirit of the ascended Christ. Uh, later, he says he would now indwell them in his identity as the spirit of the exalted savior. The contrast is located not in the manner of his dwelling, so much as in the capacity in which he indwells. Now, so I, I think I like the terminology economic versus ontological. Ontologically, he is present in the same sense and reality, but economically, there is a distinction or difference between the two dispensations. Jordan, does uh, he use
2: the word function there? The, the indwelling is functioning differently than it would I, I don't have. think he uses
0: function, but I think that's what he's getting at with economic. Okay.
2: okay. Yeah. That, that's how, uh, just to piggyback on Cody and and not piggybacking on Ferguson. I mean, I agree with Ferguson, but that you know, I, I think that's my understanding of uh, believers in the old covenant versus the new is yeah, there's an indwelling and there's a there's a tabernacling of the Holy Spirit in believers. But um as Ferguson is pointing out there's a there's the function of his dwelling changes with the resurrection of the Messiah. So I I just, I, I think I like the, the way that Ferguson really puts it there um, and understanding the idea of the, the function of his indwelling in the in the relative covenants.
1: Yeah. And the language of economic, hits that it was what I was mm-hmm. trying to get at mm-hmm. in regards to types and the particular kind of, if you want, I don't like using the word forms, but I guess ways, you know, figures that the old testament uses for the particular presence of the spirit um so yeah i really like that language
0: so uh, i i want to touch on this just because his it seemed dr allison's argument to some degree for not being a cessationist for being a continuationist <laughs> was friend x has ha- had said experience i yeah. trust friend x therefore i cannot deny so, all right, continuationism.
1: Yeah,
0: and I, I do want to. Admit, Sam Storms is fine. I <laughs> felt very awkward when he mentioned C.J. Mahaney, because um, yeah. uh, personally, I, I don't think he is a reputable source for multiple reasons. But let's yeah. just take Sam Storms. I think he, from all accounts, is a serious, serious thinker, serious committed Christian and he claims to have experiences of you know john piper i think he's had set claims to have experiences of tongues or whatever uh, do how serious do we take claims of experience because it is somewhat to to some degree difficult when you have it's not like you know grandmother jo, jo had comes to church <laughs> she hasn't read her Bible in six years, but she claims to have had this experience. It's easier to hand wave that. Um, And I I don't want to, that sounds bad, but let's just say somebody who's not reading their, somebody who's not reading their Bible regularly, someone who's not fellowshipping with the church regularly uh, versus someone who is seriously studying their Bible, seriously committed to the local church. When one of those two groups makes a claim, uh, it's easier to hand wave one than it is the other.
1: Yeah. How,
0: so how do we weigh these? Cl- I know you just say, well, the, the word of God obviously is is the final arbiter, but I don't think the Bible is like chapter verse. Hey, here cessationism. Duh. Yeah. You do have to make some concrete theological constructions on it.
1: Yeah. So Question of experience is so often used as a trump card, even by well-meaning continuationists. And by well-meaning, I mean continuationists who are seeking to make substantive biblical arguments for their position. So yeah, so you think of a guy like Sam Storms, you know, who across multiple areas of theology is really um, like well-meaning, intentioned. Um, he's not making lazy arguments, and so. Um, but the, the, it, yeah, the issue would just kind of, you know, you look at like a book like Sam Storms' book on the gifts and you kind of move through the entirety where he's made his argument. And then it's almost like at the very end, it's like, oh, but by the way, you know, you can't dis on experience, you know, and it's just kind of like, oh, like that kind of leaves you being like, okay, well then what can I say then? if at the end of the day, you're going to just kind of, you know, continuationists can often do their own kind of hand waving towards cessationist arguments of just saying, well, look, I don't even have to like think about what you have to say because it denies my, um, you know, we want to use the fun language, of lived experience, you know, um, there's so often that kind of approach to it. Um, and that is hard. Um, yeah, my, my, uh, my father-in-law is uh, a pretty hardcore continuationist and he kind of like jabs every once in a while with these kinds of arguments of, you know, Oh, one of the fellow elders at his church, you know, speaks, you know, speaks in tongues in his closet and this kind of thing. And that shows how godly he is and this that, and the other. And, and I, I, I love my father-in-law. He's brilliant. He's the best, but um, makes some of the best coffee in the world. But <laughs> um, those kinds of arguments <laughs> uh, really do rub me the wrong way because it almost, um, yeah, just like not nullifies, but just like grates against uh, for a lot of these guys the hard biblical work they have put in to make their argument. You know, um, instead of just leaving it at the biblical argument and just saying, "I this is why I genuinely believe it's true." They always have to end on just experience. Um, And that's always just rubbed me the wrong way. But it's hard to answer that genuinely. It's just um, as a cessationist, you often have to just make your argument and just be willing to sit in it in a sense. Just be like, this is my answer to your experience. And I I don't have an answer for what you've experienced or I don't have a lot of explanations as to what you've experienced in particular. Um, but I'm just going to like stand by my argument.
0: Yeah. Cause you don't want to go in there and say what you experienced is demonic or what you yeah. experienced <laughs> is like, just you literally a hundred percent made that up. And you're just telling me this cause there's people who are genuine. Yeah. But so what is it that they are experiencing if you're a cessationist? Yeah. <laughs> Connor, how do you handle that? I'm sure you have people who come through your church who think some
2: of these things. Yeah, I'm a pastor of a local church and I I often find it... uh, Let me start over. My number one task is to point people to the scriptures. And my natural... I might not be the best person to ask this question because my natural knee-jerk reaction is to... Uh, question and doubt these experiences. Um, now I, I'm not going to tell somebody, like we said, Oh, this is a demonic episode or whatever, but because of the cultural milieu that we're in, in the squishy evangelicalism, people love this mystic ethereal, um, experiential faith. Um, it, it, you understand what I mean by by those things, and and it's almost as if we're trying to reach or get to a higher plane of knowledge, a higher uh, plane or a higher or a deeper sense of spirituality, a very inward uh, motivated thing. And and I, I, I again, I'm trying to center. Our, our church, our lives around the word of God. And I kind of go back to the argument of that is a sufficient word. And, and if we pastorally tell people, hey, you need this and these giftings that are, you know, at best unclear about how, if they've continued or not, mm-hmm. but what we know for sure is the sufficiency of the word. Um, so while I, while I won't deny someone's experience, I will say, well, let's take that back to the word and say, how does this inform your experience? And, uh, cause I think oftentimes when we see these, uh, these things happening, these gifts operating in our context, again, our culture, they're not even being done properly uh, mm-hmm. vis-a-vis 1 Corinthians, um, uh, for example. But uh, it, it's it's a difficult line for me to go down because I don't know if I'm convinced of the cessationist view, but I'm certainly not convinced of um, this wild and free you can have revelation other than what's written in scripture. I, I mean, I think that's the final, I think that's the, um, the yeah, final. I,
3: I think that's part of the difficulty is just by nature of what we're talking about right now with, you know, the indwelling of the Holy spirit, like that's a subjective experience just by the very nature of, of what it is. So, you know, for someone coming from our perspective a more cessationist perspective, it's really hard to, um, well, I guess part of the struggle is I think sometimes we become too skeptical, just like that is sort of maybe how we've been trained or we train ourselves to react to anything, um, that we hear that's not basically like, you know, quoting a Bible verse or, you know, expository preaching. So like the example that Allison used, um, I don't know if he was talking about Bruce Ware or someone who was like thinking about changing jobs. And this woman at his church came up to him and and said that, you know, essentially like God had told her, you know, XYZ about what Bruce Ware should do. And, you know, when that lady or, or when my grandma or when, you know, whoever says God told me, they don't mean God has breathed new revelation to me. They're talk- talking about like a, a prompting of the Holy Spirit, you know, to do this or to say this, and I think maybe we're more comfortable with, you know, filing that under providence or something. I, I don't know, but but you know, I do think one thing that our side has to probably be better about, and I'm, this is myself included, is not just being so ready to question everything that we hear about just because we don't have um, the best answer um, for, for how to, to categorize it or for, or to to how to explain it. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's just totally bogus, you know, and 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 it's
2: easy. I'm with you there. Uh, and again, I, I, I think I've been in organizations and communities and, um, I guess environments where these new Testament spiritual gifts were used inappropriately and were used even abusively in some cases. So, and, and why is it? And I know I, I should not, you know, lean this way or react this way, I should say. uh, But it seems to me that most of the time, um, again, most of the time I'm not making a blanket statement, but most of the time when you see these types of activities, there's always uh very questionable doctrine in other areas. And so my first reaction is to say, wait, hold on, where are you coming from with this? Uh, because, you know, I don't want to point someone in a, in a, 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 again, pastorally speaking, if somebody comes to me, oh, you know, what about this? What about this? Well, look at the source. Um, and, and maybe we should start there. Um, I don't know if that, what yeah and can. i mean
3: you know the the lived experience quote-unquote you know part of this kind of swings both ways right because you know the other side may say well you know we have experienced this so you know this is true well then our experience may be well i've seen all of these abuses maybe they're they're you know in our own personal experience or we maybe we've just witnessed them on television like i mean i'm sorry but like if you know somebody standing up on a stage and just making like gibberish sounds or whatever. Well, that could be totally bogus and an, and an abuse of, of, you know, talking about speaking in tongues, but it doesn't follow from that, that speaking in tongues today doesn't happen just because somebody is abusing it. So we can't let our lived experience, whether that be ex- experiencing the abuse in our own churches or seeing it in other churches, turn us off completely from even the possibility of this actually happening today. Um, so I think the, the, the experience thing does swing both ways on that.
0: I, Brandon to your point, I think there's a danger in so relativizing other people's actual experiences because they don't have the la- the conceptual language of precision that we think they need to have. So sometimes, you know, people will come and say, well, you know, God told me, well, they don't mean prophecy in the ways that we're thinking of prophecy. They just literally mean, I felt as I'm reading scripture, this strong impression that I needed to do this or something. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, I think there is a danger in expect, requiring or expecting them to have the perfect language when it comes to this stuff. When it, it could just be simple. I read my Bible, and I think from my own experiences that the Spirit is leading me in this way, and I think that's fine. Uh, so yeah. we just need to be careful with, with our distinction sometimes of lording them over people with a hammer.
1: Yeah, yeah. But did you so guys have
0: I, any more thoughts on that, or did you want to do the capital A, lowercase A, apostle P, P, Yeah, A?
1: my my point was going to get to those questions. So, okay, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Cody. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So one of my main issues with the continuationist argument does um, center around their use of the giftings in general, right, and particularly definitions. So, whether it's um, apostles or prophecy um, or tongues or what have you, I'm thinking particularly of prophecy because that's where I see the biggest uh, discontinuity um, and the biggest frustration in my book. But, seeing, like, kind of hearing the way that in order to justify the continued presence of the gifts, in order to justify it in in context to the grand majority of our experience, where we don't see these things in the way in which we see them talked about in the and in, in the New Testament, you have to begin changing definitions. Well, what is prophecy? It's not an infallible, um, you know, "thus saith the Lord" kind of action, but it's more of, or, or it's not even a telling of the future or anything like that. It's simply a um, you know, premonition, like encouraging word kind of thing, Mm -hmm. you know, so I like, so like the situation with Dr. Ware, you know, um, a lady walks up and simply says, Hey, take this job. Or, you know, even in more milder terms, you know, just you going like a lady in church walking up and, um, just speaking like a word of truth to you from the scriptures that she didn't know necessarily that you needed, but you need it. In your particular moment, I, I mean, when I was in Louisville, I was at a church that said that is prophecy, mm. um, and I just have an issue with that because I just don't. A, I don't think the scriptures back up that definition. I think you have to so radically change what prophecy is in order to say just speaking an encouraging word is prophecy, especially when you already have the, the spiritual gift of encouragement in the scriptures. Right? So at that point, mm-hmm. it's like, well, what's the difference between you being, having the gift of encouragement and you having the gift of prophecy? They seem definitionally to be exactly the same for many who hold the continuationist position. Um, and similar to the um, apostles' argument that Dr. Allison made, you have to um, – in order to kind of justify all of these things being enforced, which I think is why – Dr. Allison is particularly making like the apostles argument because he's trying to be consistent with all of these gifts. He's not just like, you know, lopping off apostles, but trying to keep everything else. He's trying to be consistent. So I appreciate that. But um, he has to do the same thing with that. So instead of, you know, these apostles, you know, kind of being the pillars of the church who are church planting and who are actively doing all of these gifts that we see in the book of acts now they are more or less you know kind of glorified elders church planters hmm. even though in in the book of acts we see them doing much more than just that right and we see them bearing an authority to an extent especially early on that's a little bit higher than that so it's um you have to just begin dumbing down your definitions to match your experience and I think that dumbing down of language and definition is not a sturdy biblical place to stand on Connor you
3: have any thoughts
2: yeah I I, I think I mean let me just ask you guys if, if my if I'm my thinking is wrong headed on this but to, to Cody's point I think I, I hope that most of us, and, and perhaps most of our listeners, and maybe not, and that's fine, would agree that the office of apostle is no longer uh, valid, right? It, it's that office, can we say, has ceased. So our, our capital A, right? Yeah. Um, and and I think a few years ago, even Jordan and I were talking about this, because, you know, I thought, oh, it, it, if if that gift could possibly continue, If Even if the office isn't there, if the gifts could possibly continue, maybe that's lowercase a, you know, and that's, you know, for somebody who's very bold and a, you know, quote unquote, church planter. Uh, But uh, like I was saying, Jordan, even a few years ago, we were talking about this and he was saying, well, why would the gifting for the office continue if the office itself uh, doesn't continue? Because along with the capital A Apostle is that. Thus saith the Lord, authority. Uh, so, it, I'm, I'm kind of—I guess what I'm getting at with, with what Cody's saying is, if you're packaging all of these things together, I think maybe we should. Why do some of these things continue to happen when, kind of, the chief office of the of the early church, the, even the New Testament, you might say, was the, apost- the apostles, the apostolic authority? So, is that—is am I even making sense with asking? if if we are holding it yeah, if you're gifts,
3: gonna say that the office yeah if if you're gonna say that the office has has ceased then why would it make sense that the gift itself has continued is that what you're saying like you would yeah, need both yeah. uh, it should yeah, be both yeah. or neither
2: correct that's what I that's my at least thought process argument and I don't want to necessarily say I'm certain on the 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 answer the conclusion to that but I, I think it's worth uh worth considering and and hashing out
3: are y'all familiar at all with um sam waldron's argument for cessationism no never mind then we'll move on okay
0: (laughs) you know back when i was in college i think back then i was actually really into this debate since then it just it really hasn't excited me. I just don't get into this one. I know some people do, but I just don't find it as exciting.
1: Yeah. I do find it interest an interesting historical point that the resurgence of continuationism or kind of the rise of it being seen does filter around, um, well, not merely just America, but um More of just a literalistic reading of the scriptures, Mm. right? So instead of thinking about this biblically, theologically, you know, it's more or less, I'm just going to like literalistically look at this text. It's there, you know, tongues, etc. There isn't an explicit point that says these things have ceased now, right? You have the passage in 1 Corinthians, but that could honestly go either way. So, you know, they, they kind of look at it literalistically and say, okay, well, these are fair game now. Um and so and, and also in the historical context, you know, the such the emphasis on revivalism that we see in America right before, you know, the like Azusa Street revival where all this kind of began launching up in the early nineteen hundreds. So I think that plays a huge factor in that in America, um this began surging, there was kind of like that emotional context environment that was Um, as mentioned before, so focused on mysticism and so focused really on a bad reading of the Bible. Um, And that's where a lot of this came up. Not that that nullifies the continuationist argument, but I think it's just an interesting kind of historical context to our current cultural moment.
0: So what do you guys think about this? Uh, The second London confession of faith in chapter 22 of religious worship on the Sabbath day. Now, I don't know all the context behind this, but in paragraph three, when it's talking about prayer um, and what that looks like, you know, you're praying with Thanksgiving um, and it's part of natural worship and it's required by God. And you're doing it with understanding, reverence, humility, fervency, faith, love, and perseverance. And then it ends with this. And when with others in a known tongue, that seems interesting slash odd to me that you would need to state that if you were a cessationist, what what situation would you ever be in where you say, "Yeah, I'm going to pray in an unknown tongue"? Yeah, if you well, if you're a cessationist?
1: Well, that's how some continuationists define would define tongues is not angelic tongues, you know, right, which right, right, right. Yeah, so not what we you know, First Corinthians, Paul's using hyperbole; he's not being literal, and so he's talking about you know. If somebody in your service comes up and wants to give you an encouraging word in German, and there's somebody in congregation that happens to speak German, then you can go up and give your piece. The guy can translate for you, and that is the gift of tongues. Um, I, it would be interesting to do a historical study on how particular Baptists would have understood tongues if they were thinking about angelic unknown tongues, whether they were thinking about unknown human tongues, whatever that would have been. but.
0: It, it just seems odd that it, I don't think you would need to add that clause if you were a complete yeah. cessationist. So and maybe I'm showing my ignorance uh, of the historical aspect of this portion of it. I am. But it just seems like just, this keeps the door open for a continuationist perspective.
2: Well, I would say what if they were trying to correct a pattern that they had seen to clarify their position? You know what I'm Just, saying? Like, it, it ha- They're seeing things going on around them, and they're going to say in this particular section, this is how we feel about what's going on around us.
0: Yeah, I guess I don't know why you would add the modifier, mm-hmm. when with others. So that seems to open the door. When you're alone, okay. yeah. pray in whatever tongue you want. I don't care.
3: That, do you, do that you, I don't remember exactly what it was, the whole context of the quote, but it was was it around worship on the Sabbath? Is that is that what chapter yeah. it's in? Yeah. So do you do you think yeah, yeah, it, yeah. could it could it have uh, something to do with like the Latin Mass that, that that's what yeah. they're arguing hey, hey, against? That's, that's
1: maybe that's fair. Yeah, that's good because it's that's in and around the yeah. section. I believe that's in and around the section about the Pope being the Antichrist. So, um, mm. <laughs> well, so that I, I'm said, sure we've got could. enough.
0: I feel like we've got enough 1689 nerds. I mean, maybe one of the run hands or Dr. Hagen listens or something and he can, he'll email me. One of them will email me and tell me how dumb I am, how I should know this. <laughs> they wouldn't do that in that way, but uh, you know, but no, I so, think that's an
1: excellent point about the mass. Like yeah, that, that is a good point.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So did, I mean, we can keep talking on this a little bit more or not. I mean, do we want to, What maybe here's a question. What is the pastoral benefit of being a cessationist? Because I think there's a lot of like, well, look at all the benefits you have if you're a continuationist. You get ongoing lowercase r revelation from God. You get all these special experiences and these closeness, intimacy, whatever it may be what's the benefit of saying, Hey, I'm a cessationist. What's that look like in a local church when you're telling your members, this is beyond just, I think this is the way you should read scripture. What's the practical benefit we're getting from this?
2: I'll start by one thing. Well, I have two things and then you guys can take off. Uh, One is order. Uh, Order of worship, you know, um, Simplicity in worship, in your liturgy, um, in your discipleship, there's there's simplicity. Hey, let's go to the Word because that's all that we need. God tells us this: that everything that we've been given, the faith once for all delivered to the saints, is here. Um, everything we need is here. Uh, so I would say simplicity, order in worship, order in discipleship. But you know, I and again, this might be more of an experiential argument, uh, but I think for many Christians, they might look at other people having these experiences and saying, how come I'm not given this gift? How come, what, what's wrong with me? My faith isn't deep enough. My faith isn't strong enough or else I'd be speaking in tongues or I'd be hearing prophetic words or I'd be, and I just want to pull everybody back in and say like, no, absolutely not. Christian maturity should not be defined or Christian discipleship should not be defined by um you know your ability and I'm I'm using scare quotes uh, <laughs> uh, to hear from the lord hear a prophetic word from the lord or or even um I would even say your ability again scare quotes to be impressed upon the lord uh, a, a certain um idea or decision or, um uh, impression to go and do something or to say something to somebody. Um, I, I, I get a sense in my experience that people struggle if they're trying so hard and they're, they're doing everything that, that they're, they're being taught to, to speak in tongues or to, to pray a certain way to just listening prayer thing. And they're, they're not getting, "Quote unquote," it. You know, they're not. They're not experiencing what other people are allegedly or supposedly experiencing. And I just want to say to these people, you don't need that. <laughs> you you have a finished uh, authority, a final authority, and everything you need for life and godliness found in the Word. And so, I, yeah, I and I had another thought that I that I, um, you know, it's it slipped my mind. But uh, that's where I would start. That's good. Cody, do you have any additions on that? No, nope, that's good.
0: Okay. Well, I, okay. I, I think we can realistically wrap up at this point. Uh, I think we've discussed this. And I think if we went into another topic, it would end up making this episode extremely long. So, you know, I've mentioned in the past, if you got if you listeners want this to be longer, you tell us. But I haven't gotten anybody saying that. So I'm going to assume that keeping them under an hour is the ideal uh, aspect. But I think, are there any resources that you guys have found you want to recommend on this? I know I I mentioned Ferguson's The Holy Spirit. I think that's an excellent volume. I know it's a little dated. Maybe there's some newer ones out there I just haven't gotten to, and I don't know when I'll get to them. But are there any just general resources you want to say, yeah, you, you guys should probably check this out?
3: Uh, well, I, I remember a uh, a Christ the Center um, episode that they did. I, I don't know when it was. You just have to go on their podcast and, and, and search for it. But it was on cessationism. Um, and this was maybe a few years ago. Um, and I thought they did a really, really good job um, of articulating um, a cessationist position. So that might be something um, worth going back and, and looking for.
1: Yeah, I would also um, throw out there Tom Nettles. Had like a several kind of post long response to Sam Storms' recent book on the spiritual gifts. I believe that's on Founder's website. I'm not quite sure, but um, he had like, I think, three or four posts responding to that book. And it was just kind of a fairly expansive, I mean, as expansive as one could be on a article, but pretty expansive critique and um, argument for a cessationist position that was like really good.
0: Cool. Back when founders did theology.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: kind of true though.
2: <laughs> uh,
0: half our listeners are very strongly opinionated one way or another. So yeah. take that. <laughs>
2: yeah. You just divided. I love you there. all, Jordan. <laughs> all right,
1: final note. We, notes. Just, we so, just want more edifying content
2: there you go okay yeah yeah the final note i would say and this is to the thought that slipped my mind earlier and i think i was even thinking about (laughs) those um series of of posts there so yes that one too but this whole idea of hearing from the lord and and having this impression i i just don't trust myself uh how do i know for sure that this is from the holy spirit or from the lord and if i'm supposed to be operating this gift how come how do i know for sure that it's not my own imagination and 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 whatnot i I suppose the the other side of the argument would be well you'll just know i mean it'll be so strong and it'll be led so fervently that you'll just know uh, but i i just i I go back to i don't trust myself there and and i want to trust what i know to be um solid and true but
0: uh, yeah I think that that's right on it, it reminds me of i think some people have made the argument of you take the lord's name in vain when you say the lord told me to do something that he never actually told you to do. Now I know most people when they say, well, I think the Lord told me to do X. They, as we've mentioned, they don't actually mean literally God spoke to me and told me do X. They're just trying to express a deep seated feeling that they have. But I do think there is some truth to the fact that that in some degree, you might be taking the Lord's name in vain when you do that. When the Lord told me to move to X city. Well, no, he actually didn't. What actually happened was you really wanted to move here for whatever reason it was, you know, your girlfriends there or your favorite baseball teams there, whatever it may be. You wanted you really wanted to move there and you had some external experiences that kind of opened doors if I want to use a Methodist terminal lingo, mm-hmm. it's like the door is just open to me. Yeah. And so you take for it love. and you just, you know, sugarcoat it with spiritual language. So people think that you're doing a really spiritual thing, but in reality, it's just, Hey, I wanted to move there. I think we should take out this super spiritual, like sugarcoating lingo, lingo and be extra careful with how we say the Lord's leading me to do X. I think it's safer to say, I really want to do this for this reason. And I don't see any biblical, prohibitions against it. And this is the opportunity. So I think maybe the Lord is providing this opportunity in his kind providence, but I don't want to say for sure that's that's what he's doing. I, I want to say thank, you know, I see his providence, but I just don't want to say for certain, this is exactly what God is calling me to do. Because I think it gets you in all sorts of trouble. And usually wow. I think a lot of people use it to justify their own feelings
2: and they use it to justify their authority in a given situation yeah you know, it's like oh god i, I hear a word. I, you know god is is communicating or god is telling me so well who who are you to question me then jordan um and i like your language about you know so I, i'm i'm seeing god providentially lead me this way and it yeah it it uh like you said there's no prohibition and and it these doors are opening, so to speak. Yeah,
0: I don't think that's any less spiritual sounding. If you yeah. just be honest and say, "I think I see these things in God's good providence, and therefore I'm going to make this decision," because I honestly I, I see the opportunities and I want to. What's I don't see what's wrong yeah. with saying that? What's yeah. wrong with you doing? Yeah, something?
2: You, what's wrong with you wanting to do something? Yeah. For the Lord. Yeah. There's
0: this weird cult, evangelical what culture whatever the heck it is that's just it makes you almost like have to talk in the other lingo to get yeah. people to think that you're making a legitimate sound decision. Or that
2: you have to do something that you wouldn't normally want to do to be faithful. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I I think people just think it's selfish to say, I want to do this thing and the doors open for me to do it. So I'm gonna do it. Right. I remember when I first moved down here, one of the things one of our former pastors told me was like if you have two options and both of them you have the liberty to do them, neither of them are sinful then just do what you want to do. And you, know, you don't have to like explain it into ex- you know out of existence, so to speak. You don't have to like Amen. keep hedging your terms. You can just say, look, both of these options were open to me and both of them are good options. And I'm just going to choose the one I want most. And there's nothing, like he said, there's nothing unspiritual about saying, I'm going to do what I desire to do. Because ultimately, and we see this all in the Psalms, it's the Lord who puts desires in our hearts. Hmm. So it's it's not unspiritual to say I had a desire to do X or Y because it's God who put that desire in your heart in the first place. So um, if it's righteous, so
0: <laughs> isn't that isn't that the example of Paul in Acts when and yeah. didn't he he say he wanted to go to Macedonia but the Lord kind of redirected him? Yeah. And I seem it seems that's really the model of decision-making in the will of God is not just hyper-spiritual. I need to use these certain terms. It's, Hey, I want to do this. I'm going to do it unless it's prohibited from me or prevented from me. And and that's fine.
2: Yeah. And I know we gotta, I know we gotta wrap up, but I'll, this is the last thing I'll say. I, here's what I tell people, my, my church here often is we, we often try to, determine and, and, and seek the Lord for what's years down the road and what's this big dream for our lives. And what's, what does obedience just mean for me in my, in my big ultimate lifelong future? And I I often just want to say and do wake up every day and say, what does obedience look like for me today? And just go and do it. Mm -hmm. instead of trying to figure out, um, and, and this this huge future that we all have and that we can't even begin to predict. Um, but just ask that question. What does obedience look like for me today? And I know that's sort of off topic, but just walk in it and and do what you need to do to, to serve the Lord that day. And as the Psalms tell us, he will direct our path. So um, anyway.
1: That's a really good word.
0: Anything else? Brandon, you've been
2: out. Nope. I'm good. Brandon is cool. being ministered to. Uh, that, that's what he's doing. He's receiving it. Uh, uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, um,
0: and for those founders, fanboys out there, I, I do want to, I don't, if I hurt your feelings, I didn't mean to. <laughs> you that. just hurt your feelings again by calling them yeah. fanboys. <laughs> <Stop>. Look, <laughs> I'm friends with people who really like founders and I. that's cool. You know, I, I think they've done some good stuff in the past. I don't think they're spending as much time on the good stuff the, the content that I found beneficial now. And I, and that's, you know, I am afraid that some of those things are going to cause some divisions among true brothers and true friends who are in agreement on 96% of stuff. Yeah. Um, so th- that's unfortunate. And maybe, you know, my comment would exacerbate that. So I apologize if it did that, I think we're all friends and we want to stay friends and we don't want to lose that relationship, that partnership in the gospel. So take that as me apologizing if I offended you. Anyway, any, any other closing words? I'll, I'll close up. I love it when right you ask to See repent you, on the
3: podcast. You. I just, let me say that. <laughs> hey, well. That <laughs> makes me happy. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Look, that, you know, if, if you confess your sins, you know, faithful to forgive. Hey, so it I'm was a sure.
2: public sin, which requires yeah, in every case, a public repentance. That's right. So,
1: all right. I, mean, well, I don't then, know if it was sinful, though, but... Uh, yeah,
2: I, I, I don't <laughs> know either. I, I just want to cover my bases. Fair, true, <laughs> true, true.
0: Because I do want to be charitable to other people. We're supposed to do that. So, But the,
1: yeah.
0: I do struggle with the tension of how do you be charitable yet also be very, you know, have some critical thinking, but that's another topic, yeah. I guess.
1: Yeah, you can just say, look, you know, we need less, you know, divisive, potentially divisive culture warring and more just like edifying content for the church that I I mean that'll span ages right not just the next year or two in America
0: yeah that's right so I think there there is a way to critically engage with current events that is not so polemical in in nature I and I know when it comes to the pastoral context, it, it, it's more ser- it's more serious, more polemical than it is in an academic context. And I, I think I'm more in the academic context than say Brandon or Connor are. Yeah. So uh, to some degree, I'm like, hey guys, just chill out. You can have a, you know a nice cool debate <laughs> over drinks, and, and and we're all fine and dandy and friends. But when they're, you're in the pastoral context, say,
1: Dr. <laughs> <I'm> sorry, apologize. <laughs>
0: um, in a in a church context, it's just, it seems more serious. Right? Because you've got like people's lives actually on the line to some degree. Um, So, yeah, that's It's just let's just leave it at that. I have
3: have thoughts, but I'm just going to leave it alone. Let's just let's let's wrap this up. Yeah. (laughs) Wrap it up. All right. Well,
0: yeah, everybody's been listening. You've been listening to the only analytic Baptist and confessional podcast, and hopefully, uh, we'll do a better job of creating a culture of charity on my end. Uh, though curiosity, ask questions, why are you doing it this way? Why do you think this way? Uh, Critical thinking, examining others' arguments in a fair and respectable way, and cheerful confessionalism, uh, you know, just not being a jerk to some degree, and being happy about the fact that we're confessional Baptists. Anyway, thanks for listening. Tune in next time.